I'm glad you're feeling better. I can yeah, tell. I could tell by your Groucho Marx cheese cigar work <laughs> that you were doing. <laughs> yeah, I do feel a lot better. The other day I was like, I my eyes can't focus. Um, yeah. I'm trying. I know. You've like drug through before where I'm like, we have to record. And you're like, okay, fine. I feel like shit and I'm going to be a little mean to you. And I'm like, okay, let's just get it done. <laughs> I've like, I've never said that, but you're like, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you yeah. just know. I can feel it. I'm like, you look pretty, you dumb whore. <laughs> Uh, don't judge me. I there's this is alcohol. Yeah, I didn't think it was like watermelon juice <laughs> in a wine glass. Yes, yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. just a little bit. Just How a little afternoon. Eleven. Eleven. Isn't that going to make you sleepy? What am I going to do after this? Raise your children? There's that fucking mom judging again. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm Tasha. We are on season three, episode 13, Prodigy. This is probably my favorite episode so far. I loved it. Every it's fucking so bit. fucking good. Yeah. This episode could have been nine parts. Yeah. This could have been a Netflix series and I would have watched it. it was, I would have watched it probably a couple times. Like, so like good. True Detective is how I watch that every now and then. There's two beat cops. It's nighttime. They're on a dock looking around and arguing about the differences between boats. Like, oh, check out the sloop. And what was the other guy? Look at this wingdinger or whatever. <laughs> I really like this sloop. And the guy's like, that's not a sloop. That's a catch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we're like, oh, they're going to find a dead guy. Yeah. This has nothing to do with boat parts and fucking rotary girders. <laughs> they're going to find a dead guy. Is rotary girder a thing? Uh, No, it's just my go-to mechanic talk. It's from Tommy Boy. Oh. <laughs> When he's like, oh, yeah, there's a, whatever, the rotary girder, because he doesn't know anything about That's right. cars. Yeah. They come across this guy carrying a duffel bag, and he looks super freaked out that he's, he, he looks super freaked out because cops are looking at him, you know? Right. He, like, stops yeah. in his tracks, like, very, <laughs> I'm doing bad stuff. Yes. <laughs> and they're Whoa. like, hey, where's your marina pass? And the dude chucks the duffel bag into the water and starts taking off, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, cool. Let's go. So one of the cops tackles the dude nearby in these trees. There's like a little park or something. Mm -hmm. And the other cop trips over something, quote something. What could it be? Maybe it's a tree root. Yeah. Maybe it's a shoe of not a dead person. <laughs> oh, no. as soon as I said shoe, I'm like, well, yeah, they'd be covered in blood. <laughs> Maybe it's a picnic basket. It could be a picnic basket or a... A pile of dead bodies, that's all I can think of. <laughs> Maybe it's just a cooler and there's kids out in the park on the marina having a little party. And they're like, you guys go home or we're calling your parents. And then they all go home. They snuggle into bed and they had a good night. Yes. And they think about it later. And like, Remember that time we were in the marina in the park? We were like 15. <laughs> and then those cops told us to go home, but we were white. So they, they didn't do fuck with us. <laughs> that's terrible. <sighs> okay. Sorry, no, but it was dead people. So, yeah. It was dead people. <laughs> the guy who tripped, he's this little cop. He looks like Kyle Mooney from SNL. Mm -hmm. Yep. And is played like him, too. Kyle Mooney would play this guy perfectly. In a reenactment of this <laughs> fictional story. We should send him an email. Kyle okay. Mooney? Be like, have you seen season three, episode 13 of SVU? He'd be like, um, yes, but what? Also, I'm not going to read this. So this Mooney cop, he shines the flashlight over to what he tripped on, and it's a dude covered in blood laying in between a woman's legs who appears to be naked. 
And they both appear to be dead. Yep. Benson shows up on the scene. Stabler's already there. They bag a bloody rock that they think is maybe the murder weapon. There's no IDs for either victim. The woman was stripped naked and they were sexually positioned after they died. There's defensive wounds on the male and the female's hands and head are fucking missing. And they show all of it. No, they don't. (laughs) Wouldn't that be crazy? You're just like, what? If they showed full fucking gore at 8 p.m. on NBC in 2002? <laughs> yeah. They had like the, the cartoon steak neck hole or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the officer that tripped on the bodies from the marina tells Benson mm-hmm. that they think the guy they were chasing could be the perp because the duffel bag he threw over was big enough to fit body parts. Right. So they have the perp in the cop car. The stabler's like, Hey, Benson, we got to call in an interpreter. And she's like, oh, I speak like 500 languages. Yeah. She's like, I speak a little Spanish and French and I can Mirandize and three others. Um, What is he? And she did a hair flip. Stabes goes, death. But her eyes bulged out of her face and her mouth dropped open and her tongue rolled out. Like... That didn't occur to her that that could be a thing that existed in the world. She's like, those people still exist? (laughs) Deaf people are real? It was a weird moment. And also, I noted what she said about all her languages and everything, which I'm like, brava, lady, who can have all of that shit going on in your life. But also, we would drag the fuck out of Munch if he were to say that. Yeah, no, it's true. I would have. (laughs) I appreciate that you didn't. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah. You're right. I would have. I probably would have quit the show if you said that. Like, I'm done. Yeah. I can't. That's, that's it. I'm done. Now we're in the interrogation room. Benson and Stabler are reading the perp his Miranda rights while another cop is translating. This guy is not paying attention to the translator. He is working on his fucking attitude. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's a sassy pants. Not acting like a guy who just committed murder. Yeah. Then Benson's like, you know what? Here's a card with your Miranda rights on it as well kind of saying like if you're not going to pay attention we're not going to let you get out of knowing your rights yeah or be able to argue that is what i'm assuming cabot pops in she's like exactly tasha (laughs) he signs to them and says i'm deaf not dumb i don't need a lawyer i didn't do anything and stabler's like oh then why were you out on the docks he goes i couldn't sleep so i went for a walk he tells them that he ran because he was scared all he saw was a flashlight he didn't know it was cops he was full of shit he's just lying i mean he knew it was cops you know yeah yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, the bag was weighing me down. Sure, Jan. Okay. <laughs> Stabler says, uh, yeah, body parts can get heavy. Immediately, he stops his sass. He looks puzzled. They toss him over crime scene photos, which is always a jarringly obnoxious thing that mm-hmm. they do. And the dude shoves him away. And he's like, I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. He was like, what the fuck? Yeah. He looked shocked. He looked freaked out. I mean, immediately. The second we saw him, we're like, this is not the perp. Yeah, he's not famous. He's not famous. He's not famous. And he's like, it's the first two minutes. It might be under a minute. It might be at this point. (laughs) Who knows? Everything's happening. It's a whirlwind episode. Boots. (laughs) Boots. (laughs) Boats. Sloops. Catches. This guy. Yeah. No, you're not the perp. Yeah. Elsewhere in the precinct, Munch is telling Cragen that they found the duffel bag, but it just had stolen laptops and jewelry from a houseboat, and they're running prints on everything now. Again, we know it's not this guy. This guy just was sticky banditing all over the docks. Christmas! All over the fucking <laughs> docks. Stabler walks into Cragen's office and tells Cragen that, he's like, this isn't adding up. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no way this guy did this because there's blood everywhere in the park. This guy had, like, not a drop on him anywhere. Yeah. 
Plus his rap sheet is just like dumb shit like weed and larceny. Those that combo. I'm like, it's dumb shit, weed and larceny. I mean, compared to cutting someone's head off, yeah, definitely cutting someone's head and hands off and they're still holding the guy like, I mean, I guess they could have been like, well, he changed clothes and da 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 da. But I but he also doesn't have any assaults on his rap sheet. And it's like just weird mm-hmm. to go from like, hey, I smoke blunts every now and then to like, I'm going to saw this chick's head off. Like, yeah, that's fucked. Yes. It's fucked how intensely I just said that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good episode. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't their guy. Kragen's like, hand the dude to burglary. So we got that little wrapped up for us. Nice little glittery red and white striped ribbon tied on top, placed under the tree. We love it. I can't wait. <laughs> is it December yet? It's not even. It, it is December when this comes out. Craigan wants them to root around in the deaf community to see if he's missing any enemies or a girlfriend. Just to really tie it up. Yeah, I really love that phrasing. Root around like truffle pigs in the fucking deaf community. <laughs> no, not that part. The like... <laughs> <laughs> to see if he's missing any enemies. Elsewhere in the squad room, lights are low. Toots has telling ghost stories around the campfire lighting on his face from mm. the computer. And I see it and go, Toodles, that's bad for your eyes. <laughs> I'm Craigan a mom. to know... <laughs> Craigan wants to know where they're at with missing persons. Toots is having trouble because of the missing body parts. No dental records. records, No fingerprint. Yeah. Which was probably the point of taking the head and hands. Mm -hmm. But why didn't the perp take the dude's hands or his head? And Mm -hmm. Toots was like, well, the perp's connection was with the woman. Hence getting rid of her idea bullshit. So if he didn't have a connection to the guy, then what's the point? Yeah. They go on about Ed Kemper and his collection of heads and cannibalism until Toots starts getting into a little too much detail that makes everyone uncomfortable. Yeah, he's like, cannibals <laughs> would want more like meaty bits, not the head and the hands. And he's like, sticks his little craws up and wiggles his yeah. fingers. Craigan's like, enough. Okay, you little fucking sicky. Moving on. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are now in the ME office and they're talking to this total fucking babe of a doctor. Okay, I'm stopping you. I'm not saying that this guy is not traditionally attractive because he is. Mm-hmm. But I always find it super interesting when you find someone very attractive. I just like to track it because this guy isn't Gabe traditional lumberjack beard rolled up jeans work boots kind of guy. Well, I mean, I like all types of dudes, but yeah, there's a, a brand of dude, like the lumberjack that I'm like, you'll you'll always be in my heart. Yeah, your brand of guy smells like pine needles and whiskey, but... Mm, cedar, I would I would think cedar and whiskey, but... Whatever, B.O., he smells like all kinds of shit, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but this guy that your cartoon wolf awooging over... <laughs> There is a pattern of dudes with this face that you lean into, which is funny because it's just a very traditionally attractive dude that I... I, Yeah, he's like movie hot. Yeah. Like he just gets jobs because he shows up. He does. He has pretty privilege. You can see that. Yeah. He looks like a vet tech on a TikTok (laughs) doing one of those little dances. It's like, whoop, 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 weedup, weedup, weedup. And there's like some facts about like dog diarrhea or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Pointing. Yeah. He does look a lot like Ted from Schitt's Creek, Mm -hmm. which is funny because he was a vet. Yeah. And I bet you find him attractive too. I did. Yeah. Thought he was cute. Yeah. I mean, who didn't? Again, traditionally attractive. Yeah. It's I just also with... love that guy's personality. Yeah. He says that the male victim was in his mid-50s and the woman was in her early 40s. Both... Stop. Also, the guy <laughs> playing the dead body, <laughs> dead body of dude murdered in a park, looks like fucking Sam Elliott. 
Yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't catch that. And I feel like I would have if it really looked like, like if it was true. Okay. Well, the fact that you're doubting me is offensive. Um, I'm disappointed and hurt, but also he does. And I hope that Sam Elliott was like, you know what I really love is this show, but I am so busy and sought after that I don't have time to play a murderer. Can I just play a dead body? I don't need to be credited. I'd rather not be because I'm very humble and I just enjoy the experience. And they're like, sure, Sam Elliott. That's what happens. It's just like a little Easter egg for his fans or something. Oh, yeah. All right. Both of them had some deep, jagged-ass stab wounds to their midsections. Dr. Hot said it's from a heavy-duty hunting knife, like 8-inch serrated blade or something. The head trauma on the male victim had embedded tree bark in it, so he was probably hit in the head with a branch, not that rock they found. The female victim's rape kit came back with spermicide, but the male victim's pants were open and he had lipstick on his wiener. I don't want to say dick. I don't want to say dick. (laughs) Okay, I know you don't. But wiener sounds worse. It's just funny because it feels almost prudy that you don't want to say not wiener. (laughs) But you'll also be like, oh, chug-a-lug-a-lug. In the same fucking breath. (laughs) Chug-a-lug-a-lug. Hold my legs up, fellas. (laughs) It's a keg. Yeah, got it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's a keg. Benson Stabler and the hot-ass Emmy are rolling around ideas about how the victim knew each other. Maybe they were in the park getting it on and the perp happens upon them and attacks. Maybe that's a thing. I mean, that's Son of Sam did that. Mm -hmm. The male victim was wearing a wedding ring. Maybe they were married. And Stabler's like, "Eh, trust me, married couples don't have sex in parks. And I was like, okay. Tell us more about your personal life, Stabler. Right. I covered the mic because that was in red, all caps in my notes. I was so fucking irritated. Yeah. As soon as he said that, I'm like, fuck you, dude. He's like, ask me about my feelings so I can tell you I don't want to talk about it, Olivia. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're going to rule that out just because you don't fuck in a park with your wife. Yeah. Cool. Jesus. But I mean, like, also. I mean, yeah. They're probably not. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're like going through shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Everybody, all you married people. What's the nugget, Gabe? What's that wisdom nugget? Roll it on out. <laughs> Let me give you some advice to keep your marriage going, because I know. Fucking a park. But okay. do not change your cell phone plan. It's too hard. <laughs> it's too hard. Hot Doctor doesn't think that the female victim is a sex worker, because he doesn't often see many women in their 40s who don't have cervical dysplasia that are sex workers. Yeah, I felt like this is weird because they're both shooting this down because they're like, well, I don't see this very often. Married people don't fucking park. So I'm like, you guys are just shooting down ideas. And when you like, you should cover all ideas, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that the doctor is saying that it's impossible. I think he's just saying it's unlikely. And he didn't say it like a dick. So I had a little more room for him. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I wasn't like, mad at him. He was too hot. Uh-huh. It was like just in total. <laughs> In total, I was like, maybe everybody should just kind of be like, at least write it down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're just going to have Benson retain it because who else is going to do the emotional labor of remembering this conversation? Of course. Every fucking 45 minutes, Taylor's going to pop and be like, hey, do you remember the ideas that we said down in the ME? Can you run them by me again? (laughs) What's my anniversary again? What's Kathy's birthday? (laughs) They're like, maybe the female victim is the male victim's mistress. And then the doctor said, well, they didn't party together. The male's blood alcohol level was 0.17 and the woman had nothing in her blood. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, and why does this mean they weren't sleeping together? <laughs> I don't know. But no, he meant that they weren't partying together. Like they weren't out doing shots and high fiving and fucking bar hopping and shit. 
I mean, because his blood alcohol was pretty high. Party level. 0.17 is pretty high, right? Is it? The general legal limit in the U.S. is 0.08. It's state by state. Wisconsin used to be 0.1 because we're disgusting, but we all, we kind of went along with the rest of the country, and it's now 0.08. 0.17 is over twice the legal limit. Dr. Hot didn't get anything on the dude's prints, but found a pacemaker, and the pacemaker companies are required to keep records on all patients. Mm-hmm. Bunch of toots are at Ned's office at Celadine Industries. Is it Celadine? Yeah. Celadine. Yeah. Ned is like the owner, fucking whatever. Hold on. Get it like Cinedime when you go to the movies. I'm going to drink some water. Munch and Toots are in an office at Celadine Industries. Ned is the owner or some bullshit. He tells Munch and Toots that he cannot give out the information on the male victims because of his right to privacy. So Munch is like giving the guy some shit about how the company had a recall on pacemakers because they would break and pierce the person through the heart, which is awful. (laughs) This dude is like, we've made significant changes, blah, blah, blah. And Munch tells him that their victim got stabbed. And he's like, that has nothing to do with our product. And Munch is like, well, we can't rule it out unless we do a special inquiry. The dude's not into that. And fucking... He gives up immediately, turns slightly to his computer and like types in four words and the dude's name came up. He didn't even like click onto a client list or be like, secretary. The guy's name is Edward Boggs. Like not even a password or anything. Not even a password. Okay. Benson and Stabler have Mrs. Boggs in the questioning room. She just came from a Midwestern Thanksgiving in that sweater. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She was literally drawing an outline of her hand and she's like, I'm sorry, what? What are your questions? (laughs) Gobble, gobble, you guys. Am I right? (laughs) Girls. Wieners. (laughs) Benson asked Mrs. Boggs when she seen her husband, Edward, last. He worked a night shift, so she saw him at 4 p.m. when he was leaving for work. She has no idea why he would have been in that park. He works at the reclamation plant on Randall Island, which I'm guessing is farther away. (laughs) Benson tells her that he had a high level of alcohol in his system, and she's like, oh my god, that cannot be true. Edward doesn't drink anymore. Stabler asks her if Ed was having an affair, and she's upset, of course, and is like, no. Benson tells her about the positioning of the female in the park, and she just immediately starts crying. On the other side of the glass in Craigan's greenhouse... He's standing up over a box of t- tulip bulbs. Oh my god, he's in overalls. He's in little overalls, and he's like wiping the dirt off of his little gardening gloves and he's doing the thing where he's taking like the end of the fingertips to pull them off. Yeah. He's got a little bit of dirt on his one of his cheeks. He's so happy. <laughs> oh, he's so happy here. He's like, before you go, I have all of these tomatoes, more than I can handle. And Olivia's like, I'll take one. Just one. He's like, can you just take like three? She's like, no! No! I will take one! I'm a single woman in the city! What if she got cherry tomatoes? How many do you think she would take? Do you think she would still stick by one because she's got some number rule yeah yeah or she would get one of those little satchels that mary told you that you need to get and she'd be like it can fill this and no more do you think if she ever takes two tomatoes and somebody sees they're like who are you dating (laughs) she's like oh this one is just to throw at men (laughs) cut it into pieces and throw it at a lot of men Toots is like, oh, she's good. He's thinking that she suspected her husband was cheating on her and attacked them both in the park. Munch is like, you think Meek Mindy killed two people in the park? And Toots is like, well, she could have hired somebody. Or did it herself, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they were like hit in the back of the head, right? Or something? Right. If I was going to be called in for questioning about a murder, my husband's murder, I would wear that sweater too. And guess what? I'm capable of a lot of things. I'm going to retract that. (laughs) John. 
I love him. Oh, I love him so much. Munch and Toots are talking to this bartender at Broadway Bar. She recognizes Edward. He's been in every night for the last two weeks. She goes, last Thursday, he hooked up with one of my regulars. The detectives assume what was her name. She goes, his, Vinny. Vinny is scum. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like this lady. I do too. She's got no time for anybody. Mm-hmm. She continues to load up her tray. She's got tables to attend to. It's like a daytime bar situation. So mm-hmm. not everybody's bellied up. She's got to, you know, do tray service and shit. But they're like, why is he a piece of shit? What were they talking about? She goes, every time I walk by, it was bitches this and bitches that. They left together around 9 p.m. Is that it? I got ice cubes melting. Mm-hmm. I love that. And part. walks off to deliver her drinks. I know. Munch says, maybe we keep looking at Edward as a victim, but really... He and Vinny ran into the woman and Ugh, quote, Ugh. quote, wolf packed her. Oh my God. Gross. You are a fucking fucking munch. Like he's a total cunt. I fucking hate him. Wolf packed her. Fuck. I you. know it's really gross. And then Toots is like, well, maybe Eddie was down for the rape, but not murder and freaks out. And then Vinny killed him. They all of a sudden see the name Vinny on some weekly pool chart that's behind the bar mm-hmm. the bartender comes back and they're like hey what's this about is this our Vinny? she goes yeah he bets every week he sucks <laughs> and toots gets this overconfident idea and flips open his cell phone to call Vinny. very like, confidently <laughs> yeah he's like he's gonna love to hear that he won <laughs> benson and stabler now have Vinny in the interrogation room Vinny is the vinniest of Vinnies. yeah okay he is a bruce willis bradley cooper jack nicholson cautionary tale mashup uglier okay that's why he's the cautionary tale he took a different path oh um at the end of it's a wonderful life and and had a different outcome right he is also another oz alum he played officer murphy (gasps) Mm -hmm. that's why he looks so familiar to me yes and he was also the police chief in the 2012 avengers movie benny is pissed and yelling at benson and stabler he goes you know this is entrapment. <laughs> I'm the victim of a sting operation. Benson <laughs> Stabler tells him to calm down and tell them about Edward. Benson slides a picture over to him and he slides it back and goes, screw you. Benson says, I could screw you harder. She, zero hesitation. Yeah. Just had that fucking holstered. I can screw you harder. See, we have this handy little law enforcement tool that allows us to throw suspicious people like you in jail for 24 hours. So why don't we try this again? And slides the picture back Mm -hmm. over to him and goes, so what'd you guys talk about? He goes, bitches. Ed told him that he has this female (laughs) boss who's a real ball buster. Two weeks ago, she fired him for no reason. I'm sure. Big air quotes on that. <laughs> yeah. Vinny said, I spent the better part of the night reflating the guy's gonads. Like, why would you say it like that? But okay. I just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Was he blowing into his urethra I hole? I think so. Yeah. That's how you do that. Benson. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's how you do that. Benson asks if Ed was all riled up and they went to go take it out on some bitches. Vinny says he didn't even have the stones to go home and tell his old lady he'd been fired. Pretended to go to work every day. That's why he was loading up on liquid courage to go home and confess. So Vinny's like, let's get out of here. And he wanted to go to another bar and pick up ladies, broads. Ed's like, no, I'm just going to go home. But first, I'm going to stop by this park and take a piss. So Vinny's like, cool, I'm going to hop into a taxi. Peace out, brother. They part ways. The whole gang's back at the crime scene. You can see 
see the spot where the woman was dragged and butchered and where Ed bled out. Toots calls him and says, I'm no park ranger, but since when did trees bleed red sap? <laughs> like, he says it like it's a really good burn on the tree. It's like, fuck yeah. you, tree. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's weird. There are footprints pointing to the tree. Munch is like, if you run a urinalysis in the tree from like waist down, you're going to find piss. And I bet it's Ed's. Mm-hmm. The ME did say that there was tree bark embedded in Ed's forehead wound. So maybe there really was no connection to the female victim. The guy maybe yeah. just came behind him and bust his head into the tree and got all fucking gross. Right. I mean, this whole thing, this whole little scene here is painting a real piss on a tree picture for us. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I'm imagining Ed went to go piss. He's peeing on the tree. Somebody comes up behind him, slams his head into the fucking tree. Mm-hmm. Explains why his Knocks pants were undone. Mm-hmm. But the Benson's like, well, the Emmy found fucking lipstick on Bog's ween. Her. <laughs> go on. <laughs> He's like, ah, the perp staged that to throw off SVU. Mm-hmm. Benson's phone rings. Turns out a sewer worker in Brooklyn just got the remains of a hand. A yuck. I would love to know the amount of shit like that that sewage workers mm. and waste management workers come across. I can't. Especially in a bigger city. Ooh. Yeah. Yuck. Cut to, there's a disgusting, dead-ass hand in a crime lab. The Emmy is peeling off a fingerprint. Okay. Like, peeling the top layer of skin or the top... M- like the the epidermis, uh, it it was it looks like so um, grotesque and unnecessary. It looks I like deli turkey, and this is why I can't <gasps> eat deli turkey. Well, I guess I'm done too. Actually, I just like started plant based eating. So I know you told me that like four times already. No, I'm so wow, happy for you. Wow, that's the third time. But okay, <laughs> I'm really happy for you. Okay, he's like, hey, um, you mind putting this on to Benson? And she's like, what? No, ew, why? And he's like, we need somebody with roughly the same size fingerprint to put it over their finger so the tissue holds shape while they take fingerprints. Okay? Mm-hmm. Stabler hands her some rubber gloves and says, I'm too manly. Yeah. And she kind of shrugs like, mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So she has to wear these gloves and she has a little sliver of skin over her thumb. Ugh. Was it her thumb, right? Her pointer finger. Her, yeah. Or was it her thumb? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't it, was one of, it was one of the first two but it was disturbing. Yeah. And she was not, not into shy it. about facially expressing how much she hated it. Yeah. As always, we realize this is for maximum NBC drama effect, but there are so many other options besides traumatizing Benson here. I had spent a hot minute Googling forensic fingerprinting tools and thinking that there's going to be... There's got to be something a, that they a have. A model of something. They do all kinds of shit with mannequin bodies. They have to have certain weights and certain whatever to like reenact things and just go to that department go to the blood spatter analysis department dude there's probably like a key ring of all different finger sizes and whatever that something like that can be like actually like attached to because still like if you're doing that you're still mushing it around like exactly there's there's gotta be a whole thing for it i should it's called a finger ring it vibrates i have one Okay, so Vinny and Toots walk into the squad room and Vinny is literally like a man child and walks by Benson and Stabler and he's like, I passed the poly. (laughs) I loved it. Benson is like, get this cunt out of here. It was hilarious. I passed the poly. Yeah. She was in no mood after that fingerprint shit. She's like, get the fuck out of my job. Uh, Kraken tells everyone they got a hit on the thumbprint. This woman is Special Agent Pam Tilden from the MFPCA, which is Manhattan's Humane Law Enforcement, a.k.a. the Dog Police. She investigated people who tortured and abused animals. So she's a fucking literal angel is what she is. Mm-hmm. Munch says that the people who hurt animals are future wife beaters and child abusers. And Benson says, and serial killers. And then this is where I'm like, 
oh my fucking God, this episode is going to be so fucking good. Right. I also noticed on my second watch, I really zoned in on Pam's adorable little police photo. You know, those police headshots that they take uh-huh. in front of an American flag in full pretzel eating uniform. Yeah. You can see her profile. She's got one really shiny ping gold dog earring. Yes, it was so cute. Vincent Stabler are now at the MFPCA. The man that they are chatting with, he's like the boss or something. He's like the animal chief, the Kragen of the MFPCA. This guy wonders if our female victim, Pam, knew her killer. With the lengths that the perp went through to hide her identity, Stabler thinks that she probably did. Dog Kragen doesn't think that Pam had any personal troubles, okay? She didn't have a boyfriend and was married to the job. This guy says there's 5 million animals in the city and only 14 of them working. Like 14 employees at the MFPCA. I, I, the way I wrote that, I was like, there's only 14 animals working in this. Like, what is this? <laughs> Out of 5 million animals, only 14 are working. Get jobs. This needs to be addressed. (laughs) Is there like an MFPCA job center for the animals? All of these people were out in the field. Like they didn't have any space for anyone to just sit in an office. Benson asks for a copy of Pam's case files to see if any of her last few put her at risk. Mm -hmm. Cut to the precinct. Toots tells the gang the last case Pam closed was this dude, Jake. He moved back in with his dad and his dad's got somebody living with him named Missy. Well, Jake's dad walked in on them one night and they're like, what's the problem? The problem is that Missy's a German shepherd. And Munch fucking chuckles and off the top of his head says, (laughs) it's perfectly legal in 26 states. First of all, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Second of all, (laughs) why is it something you know like that, Munch? Yeah. And why is it funny? It's not. That's animal abuse. Mm -hmm. Jake argued that it isn't animal cruelty, but zoophilia, which to him meant we were in a loving life commitment. Okay, you and the dog, you and the German shepherd. Got it. But they needed to find the files with more violence, so they're making a pile of those kinds of files. We're not going to go into detail here about these other people's crimes because... Mm -hmm. They start reading, yeah, they start reading one of the things and I was like... They're reading descriptions of shit. And, toots, and it's like, toots I don't was like, to. nope. And I was like, yep, absolutely Agreed. nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was one file that was about a dog fighting ring that got shut down and the dogs were taken to the MFPCA. Stabler goes, Kennel was vandalized two days later and fucking Jordan dunks the file into its box. <laughs> He's like, got it. <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are back at the MFPCA talking to Dog Kragen. He said that the vandals came in and graffitied the whole place with gang symbols, but he didn't mention it to Benny and Stabes because it only happened once months ago. He assumed it was an isolated incident. Yeah. This worker dude that nobody was talking to pipes up and says that he's not surprised Pam went into a park after dark if there was a hurt animal in there. Mm-hmm. Stabler asks him if Pam ever mentioned anyone threatening her, and he said, yeah, there's this 15 or 16 year old kid who poured paint thinner on a cat's tail and set it on fire as soon as i heard that i was like this better not be some fucking don't f with cats luca magnata shit do you remember that i um did you watch don't fuck with cats absolutely not i did not know what i was getting into when i started that and seeing i still can fucking see that in my head i don't know they showed way too fucking much i don't know what the i don't know what the stuff is and i don't uh i've successfully i can't have that I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't have that in my mm-hmm. mind. I know it's fucked up and weird, and I'm not doing it. And I respect it. This kid had to then 
go to 10 sessions with their company psychologist. And every time the kid ran into Pam, he would cuss her out. The whole time this dude is talking to Benson and Stabler, he's, you know, looking at this cat and he's kind of doing little odd jobs. He decides that they're done talking because the phone rang and Mm. he walked away from SVU detectives to answer it. When another person was right there, two other people enter the frame. (laughs) This guy's like, ring, ring. Anyway, mid-conversation about this woman that I work with being murdered that I have information about. I got to take this. Yeah, we close at five or fucking whatever. (laughs) Imagine doing that. Imagine being SVU detectives with the kind of, I'm sorry, brash attitude that you probably walk into every situation where it's like, I can make everything stop on a fucking dime Mm -hmm. to get my questions answered because I have this power. And somebody's like, excuse me. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, excuse me. (laughs) Benson Stabler walk into the office of Dr. Germeggio. She's the psychologist. Apparently the conviction rate of animal abusers is like almost zero. It's just a misdemeanor. Which is so insane. I know. Maybe if a small fine, maybe some community service. They do court-mandated therapy program to get the abusers to at least talk about that behavior because it leads to other stuff too, you know? Which I think is great. So the kid's name is Harry Baker. Harry Baker is the shit-stained kid that burned that cat's tail. Mm-hmm. She says that if Harry had made any direct threats, she would have called the police. And they're like, well, what the fuck? What do you mean by threats? And she's like, well, he does have aggression issues. He had a positive tox screen for cocaine when he was born. Ritalin was offered to him in like the first grade, but he refused. Stabler's like, well, doesn't his mom have anything to say about it? And she says that Harry's mom couldn't afford daycare, so she'd take him to work at the strip club. Harry had a lot of disciplinary problems. Stabler asked her if he was dumped in special ed programs. She says, no, actually, the gifted program refocused he would have great potential. But right now he does present predatory. In the squad room, Benson hops off the phone as Cabot walks up. She gives Benson Harry Baker's file. This interaction is bananas, too, because <laughs> Cabot comes up like, hey, you owe me. I got his file. And Benson opens it and she's like, for what? This is nothing. And she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> she's like, he this is like you should be excited. Like, there's nothing. He's a juvenile. So all that stuff's gone. Like, I got you what I could. Right. <laughs> Benson literally was just like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Cabot comes up all like, you owe me one. <laughs> Look what I did. This was really hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, the file says probation office recommended intensive supervision based on Pam's suspicion of numerous unadjudicated prior offenses. Benson asks if there's any way Cabot can find out what the prior offenses are. And Cabot's like, I mean, yeah, I I'll try. <laughs> Cuts a cabot in the courthouse screaming across this beautiful marble lobby. Shaheen! And this lady has zero time for cabot. Cabot comes in trying to schmooze her. She's like, we never... We never rescheduled that lunch. She's like, from a year ago? What the fuck right. do you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she has already told us she's wearing everybody out trying to do as much as she can for the SVU. And Shaheen's yeah. like, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shaheen prosecuted the Harry Baker case. So she's, Cabot needs to butter her up like a Thanksgiving meatball. Oh my Harry Thanksgiving was- meatball. <laughs> you see what I did? You thought you knew what I was going to say and then I said something else. That's joking. so harry was 15 at the time his records are completely sealed cabot just wants shaheen to tell her what she remembers shaheen says that usually cases like this are a cry for help like the kids being abused and in turn abuses the only member of the family that he can safely for himself the pet Mm -hmm. but she didn't find any history of abuse with harry 
She did find about a dozen dead or mutilated animals in his neighborhood, though. But she could never really pin anything on him. The closest she got was Mm. this girl that rejected Harry's advances. So Harry's hitting on this girl, right? She's like, no thanks. At one point, she went into a deli. She had her dog tied up outside. When she came back, the dog was gone. It turned up on her stoop the next morning, fucking decapitated. Yeah, I hate that. I just do. Your input is valued and appreciated and agreed with. I I know this is going to sound crazy and I'm going to say it, but I don't like that. (laughs) Do with that information what you will. Benson and Stabler are at the apartment of Daisy Baker now. That's Harry's mom. They're Mm -hmm. asking her where Harry was the night of the killings in the park. She's getting ready in the bathroom and she's wearing a leopard print robe. That's very cute. Soup's cute. Mm -hmm. Daisy tells them that Harry was in his room that night reading like he always is. And she was also home all night with company. Wink, wink. She Mm -hmm. sleeps on the couch and Harry sleeps in a room with no door. It's got those 70s bead things you know when you go into a your drug dealer's house yeah yeah (laughs) so he can like totally hear everything yeah it's probably like a 600 square foot place yeah gross yeah so she's entertaining company and he's you know trying to keep to himself daisy wants to know why benson and stabler are asking about harry though so then they just cut to it how long's harry been killing animals and she's like she walks out with her tits wiggling in a lace pink bra and <laughs> says that he would never do that people say bad things about him because they're jealous that their own kids aren't gifted she mm-hmm. thinks he's just super curious about biology and stuff and that he's misunderstood they're like you mind if we look around she goes yeah that's fine he's got nothing to hide i can name 10 things off the top of my head as a teenager mm-hmm. i wouldn't want an adult finding in my teenage room especially a teenage boy too i mean not especially a teenage boy but just like you're gonna find socks that are concrete you know what i mean (laughs) you know what i mean it's like you don't have to be a you don't have to be a psycho animal killer to like not want somebody going through your shit when you're a teen or at any age i mean i get it like they needed to have a transition to get into his bedroom i guess but, I'm but like, she, you know, as the mom, too, she's not thinking about that. She's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. And it's also very clear that Harry does not get privacy. Yeah, there's beads for a door. Right. Benny and Stabes go into his room and it's a fucked up mess of newspaper clippings and books about serial killers and shit. Back when it was raised eyebrows to have that shit. His walls look like Charlie's string wall in that episode of yeah. It's Always Sunny. Yeah. Except everything's black and white. Everything is black and white. Yeah. It seems chaotically organized. Yeah. There's a fire escape right outside his window, so they immediately see that it would be easy as shit to sneak in and out. Mm -hmm. And just then, Harry walks in. Yes. Oh, my God. It's fucking, I don't know the actor's real name, but... Michael Pitt. What? What? I'll I'll, I'll tell you about him. He played fucking Tommy Gnosis in um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So I was like, "Ah!" I love this guy. He was all around in the 90s. If you don't remember in Hedwig, he was like the boyfriend of Hedwig and then like stole all of his music and got famous. Fun fact about this actor, Michael Pitt. In the late 90s, he was discovered and approached by a casting director who Michael thought was a cop coming to Mm -hmm. arrest him. But the casting director recommended him for a role on Dawson's Creek, which completely kicked off his career. Oh. Which, what an amazing find. He was just approached in a public place by... A, a random. Yeah. You know what I mean? Weird. And he's an incredible actor. Hmm. It's just what a great find. He's a great actor. He was in that sort of like vein of Skeet Ulrich, weird, hot, yes. cute, alt mm-hmm. kid. You know what I mean? Who else was there back then? Uh, uh, Jared Leto was kind of that vibe. Mm-hmm. Like grunge 
attractive. Yeah. Harry walks in. This is Harry. He's, I mean, amazingly cast mm-hmm. for this role. Like he is, I am creeped out by him mm-hmm. and intrigued by him. And I just, I wanted more. Mm-hmm. So he walks in and he's like, this is about Pam, right? He says that he and Pam were pretty tight, even though she, I like how I did a visual air quotes <laughs> for you. And that's it. <laughs> He and Pam were pretty tight, even though she had arrested him, testified against him, made him get counseling, all the things that would make you think a teenager would hate somebody. He's like, oh, no, she was pretty cool. And he immediately gets creepy. I read about her death, mm, but they never published the details. You got any? Benson's like, um, no. Do you have any? (laughs) He's like, meh. And he plops down at his bed and man spreads so fucking hard. I'm a very 'er ne'er-do-well teenager yeah that's what his body language is telling us stabler goes on to say that his interests seem pretty dark and harry says that his shrink says that he has an aggressive orientation on life and a predatory drive this is the best he go oh and his delivery too he goes she says if i don't rechannel i could end up what did she say oh yeah a cop yeah Uh, and they're like oh Stabler pretends like that didn't hurt his feelings and says, well, we heard you were surveilling a girl in your class, Carrie Thorne. Harry's like, "Mm, I broke her heart. And Benson goes, uh, by killing her dog. Harry says he ended their relationship and Carrie was upset. He looks up at Benson and says, not to sound egotistical or anything, but I drive the girls a little crazy. And he's sitting like vag hype way (laughs) too close to Benson and looks up at her like she's going to be like, shit, I am into this little brand new pube fuck. <laughs> it says it like yeah. she's gonna be fucking down to pound town with some kid on the other side of the beads. <laughs> but instead, bean boy, you know, <laughs> the hot one. <laughs> but, it's, but instead she's like, bye. <laughs> yeah. Munch and Toots are talking to Carrie at her job in the pizza, some pizza shack. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's called. She was like, oh my God, it sucked. Harry was always following me around. He was always calling. Anywhere I went, he was there. He would leave creepy letters in my locker. And she said she was like actually afraid for her life. Mm-hmm. And the notes would say stuff like, I'm living only for you. I dreamed we died in a fucking car wreck together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. Or if I can't have you, no one can. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. She contacted the police and they talked to him, but he charmed him just like he does everybody mm-hmm. else. And he got his pals at school to lie, and now everyone thinks she's crazy. I've fucking been there, and I think I've said it on the pod before, but after I got my restraining order against that dude, he told all of these mutual people that he had one on me. Mm -hmm. How many Um, people out there think that I crazy stalked him? Yeah. (laughs) I don't care if you do. If you're one of those people, (laughs) Madison listeners. You've been listening listening for a long time thinking somebody's nuts. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> it's fucking public record. Is that on? Is is a restraining order on there for? Is there? Does it get expunged at some point, or is it on there? I could look at CCAP right now and see. I think I don't know. Actually, I don't yeah. know. So she had talked to her friends about stuff, and they were like, "Dude, he's hot. Like, why are you creeped out?" <laughs> Which is so like teenager. I can s- totally right. see that. You yeah, know? she's like, he's a six flags of red flags, right. and they're like, of what? We're teenagers. <laughs> We're not aware of those yet. <laughs> Munch asks her for help snagging Harry, and she's like, oh my god, you do not get it. All I did was turn him down for a date, and he fucking killed my dog. I'm not messing with Harry. Toots says, can you help us find somebody who would? So 
cut to Andrew Johnson High School. Munch and Toots are in the bathroom calling for this kid, Philip. They're like, hello, Philip. And they like get on the ground and there's no feet. Like the dude's hiding in a lock stall. Toots bangs on it on the one lock stall and a can of cooking spray comes rolling out. And Philip comes out all fucked up from huffing, which I didn't even know that you could get high off cooking spray. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anything with aerosol. Why? Um, Because that's the part that makes you high. Oh. It's like you can do, it's like the air duster thing, fucking whippets are just, it's just the uh, the pressurized air from. Um, Why does pressurized the, air get you high? There's a chemical in it. I'm not sure exactly what it huffing. is. I wasn't a, a, a huffer. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't into inhalants. Anyway, so Philip comes out. Yeah. Munch and Toots want to know about Harry, but Phil says they're not friends anymore. Munch says, let me guess, you're missing a pet. Phil says that Harry is obsessed with death and went too far with that one cat that he burned his tail, I'm guessing. I don't know mm-hmm. why that's the thing that when he went to, I mean, there's a dead dog somewhere. He decapitated a dog. Yeah. But the cat thing. Munch and Toots asked him if he's ever seen Harry do some shit to animals with a hunting knife. And Phil says he doesn't know where Harry keeps it. Munch threatens to narc on Phil about his huffing to like his parents or something. And he quickly caves immediately. Yeah. And he's like, Harry has his hideout in Central Park where he can be alone with his collection of skulls, which is gross. Maybe that's the reason that Phil's not friends with him anymore, guys. Yeah, he likes to hang out in the woods alone with a pile of animal skulls. But yeah, we just didn't like the same movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that Bead Boy would even like take his friend there. Yeah. Okay, so everyone and their mom's at Central Park. CSU's digging around. My mom's there. My mom's there too. She's got coffee cake. Everybody's fucking pumped. <laughs> My mom's snapping pictures for the album. <laughs> She's like, she, look at me. Look right here. Okay, now a silly one. Um, okay, now just the siblings. Okay. <laughs> Craig and asks Huang if he has any idea what Harry's deal is. Yeah, Huang's like, do I? He's <laughs> like, I've had a boner for like four hours about this. <laughs> Not a real boner, just like a, an educated boner. Yeah, like a psychology boner. Right. Huang says Harry is a sadistic sociopath. Harry likes to take his time and draws out the pain. And this whole time I'm thinking like animals, oh my God, animal skulls. Like maybe he does it quick and then mm-mm. Mm-mm. Harry gets off on control and domination. He has no empathy or remorse during or after the torture. Craig is like, I don't understand why Harry would lure Pam to Riverside Park when his burial ground is in Central Park. Right. And then all of a sudden this orchestral cello music goes fucking ape shit it's like yeah they're like doing the dun dun but with cellos and it's like (laughs) you know shit's coming it's like they hired what's his face who did the soundtrack for tarzan you're like wow (laughs) phil collins yeah they did phil collins they're like it's like chill out man it's it's a 38 minute episode and 10 second. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to make that 10 seconds count. <laughs> Fucking CSU finds a cooler buried in the ground. They pull it out. Inside is about a dozen animal skulls and a fucking hunting knife, but they don't find mm-hmm. anything human in there. When they pulled out the cooler and opened it up, Huang goes, Harry's heads. Like he's an old man reading signs out loud on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> like. So Benson and Stabler are in the interrogation room with Harry and his mom, Daisy. His mom is like, I don't know what's going on here. This is crazy. You know, Harry laughs. And he's like, mom, they think I killed two people. His blood pressure he's stays fine. consistently just cold as ice. Yeah. He's scary. Oh, he's so good. He's really good in this. Mm-hmm. She's like, Harry's a good kid. He gets straight A's. She keeps talking about his grades. Like, that's what makes him a good kid because 
he's smart. You know what I mean? Or like he mm-hmm. stays on top of his homework. Yeah. Benson hands her a photo of an animal skull and she's like, oh my God. And Harry's like, take a pill. She just refuses to believe Benson's stable. Of course, as a mom. Mm-hmm. But also, if this is not on your radar at all about yeah. your kid and your kid is displaying teenage things that indicate they're not a bad kid. Yeah. Also, there's a level of denial that you get to live in. This accusation is bananas yeah so harry says he's like mom this is an interrogation technique they get you all riled up and then it's time for q a first they're going to want to know if i'm a bedwetter this is all about that accident with the cat uh that gave them fire setting and animal abuse with bedwetting i fit the triad of sociopathy he's like such a little fucking like smart shit and they're all looking at him like how do you know that yeah and then benson says three childhood indicators of a future serial killer so Sabler's like, so did you wet the bed? <laughs> and mom looks up at him like, holy shit, with this yeah. scared look because she changed those fucking sheets. Right. So Harry stands up and starts talking about all the similarities he has with serial killers, all the, quote, heavy hitters. And then he, like, walks up to the glass and he's talking into the glass. Yeah. It's pretty intense, actually. And then his mom's like, mm-hmm. stop it. And then he just starts laughing. He's so, so the, good. The camera pans to the other side of the glass and you see Wong and Cabot. Why <laughs> <laughs> did you pause? Because I was probably supposed to say something about where Cragen was ice skating. Yeah, but Cragen wasn't in there, so I didn't say it. The camera pans to the other side of the glass, and you see Cabot and Wong. Cabot's like, damn, that's one cold kid. Wong replies and says, yeah, no conscience, but superficially charming and manipulative. Oh, I guess Cragen and Toots are there, too. Hmm. Oh, so what were they doing? Probably baking because they're in Cragen's house bakery area uh his english countryside cottage <laughs> exactly yes that's where you bake yeah it smells oh god i bet you, bet you those fucking places smelled so good that room is just full of rosemary and yeast it smells so good probably in a ton of bo though too because i don't fire. know why i said yeast like that and then acted yeast. like that was a good smell <laughs> Um, it's full of yeast and everybody's like yum yeast <laughs> yum yum give me the yeast this is where we eat the yeast <laughs> it ferments <laughs> all we do all day is shovel the yeast <laughs> we're mining for it, it smells so good dig 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 <laughs> right? right. is that too old of a Disney movie yeah I don't remember that at all oh my god Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Oh, yeah. Benson brings Harry's mom into the room. Mom needs a break, and she also waived Harry's Miranda rights, basically saying, go ahead and go for it, because she feels not comfortable anymore Yeah, with her own son. So Benson asks Huang for some suggestions, because Harry knows all the tricks. Like, how do we talk to a kid that knows what we're doing when we're doing it? It's weird that they've never run into that before, though. They have. Oh. (laughs) I'm sure of it. They're police officers. (laughs) You're like, they're doing this for the show. (laughs) (laughs) Huang says Harry's ego is too big to not want to talk about it. And he's going to do the whole give him little bits here and there. Mm -hmm. He suggests Benson Stabler talk about the crimes, but hypothetically in the third person. He's bound to fuck something up. Okay, Benson and Stabler are back in the interrogation room with Harry. And Stabler's telling Harry that they have his knife and it's only a matter of time before Lab comes back with blood. Harry said if he was the killer, he would have cleaned it thoroughly. And I feel like they know that, right? Yeah, but they got to kick off the conversation somehow. Yeah, so Benson's like, well, if it wasn't you, who do you think it was? 
And he's like, I don't know. So she kind of pokes at him because he's so smart. And she's like, oh, with all those books, you can't put together a simple profile. And Harry totally takes the bait. He's like, all right, it was probably a white male in his late 30s or early 40s. Menial job, lives alone. Stabler asks Harry how he thinks the killer did it. Harry says that the dude was already in the park waiting for Pam to, to find the injured animal he placed to lure her there. And then Benson's like, well, why Pam? And Harry said that maybe Pam rejected his advances. This is so fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm like imagining him hitting on this woman, this like 15 year old or whatever. Right. So he took her to a private place because now he owns her body and soul and he can do whatever he wants. Ew. And then Benson's like, well, Pam was in good shape and had a gun. And he says that she was probably attacked from behind and didn't see it coming and probably used something handy like a rock. Oh, my God. From earlier when they found the rock at the crime scene. Benson's face is like, oh, my God. I'm in the legit presence of a serial killer. I was still sitting here going, I think that he's that smart in the mind of a serial killer because he's a pre-serial killer. Mm-hmm. But like at this point, I was like, I don't think he did it. Or I'm, I'm watching the episode going like, obviously, this kid is teenage Ed Kemper. Mm-hmm. All of the things they're saying is, and all the things that he just said, it's all shit that Kemper said in interviews. Right. And that interviewers had said about him. Yeah. Should we do that for the chaser? Because we are. <laughs> On the other side of the glass in Craig and panic room, <laughs> Jodie Foster's in there. <laughs> A young Kristen Stewart. <laughs> Cabot, Huang, and Craig are watching, and Huang's like, wait, that rock detail wasn't released, was it? And Cabot's like, no. Fucking book them. I don't care if it was a good guess or whatever, it's enough to fucking get him. So they arrest mm-hmm. him. Benson and Stabler walk into the squad room and they're like, ooh, 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 we're smarter. <laughs> they finished processing <laughs> Harry. And during the processing, he'd been hitting uh-huh. on the mugshot photographer. Toots says that the lab results came back on the knife and it's completely clean. Munch says that the LUDs came back on Pam's cell and her last call was from MFPCA at 6.30 p.m. the night she was murdered. But the call didn't come from dispatch who had said her last call was at 5.30. It came from the kennels. Oh. Munch and Toots ran background checks on all the employees and only one got a hit. Yeah, and at this point, I'm like, let me guess that helpful guy with the dog that told him about Harry burning the cat. Mm, fucking Joe Paletti, mm-hmm. dog walker, and fucking seven-time rapist. I was skeptical about this guy when they talked to him, and once I got to this part, I was mad that I didn't put it in my notes. <laughs> Like, it made a difference. I was like, oh, I wondered why you jumped in on this conversation, fucking Paletti. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, like, if they talk to anybody for more than 40 seconds, it could be the killer or it could be just a guy moving boxes. You know, you never know. Yeah. He wasn't invited into the conversation. He, he just, just sort of slid into the conversation, yeah. which is kind of a tell. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to direct where our minds go? Yeah. You're inputting to what? To or help. Why? Mm. Yeah. Now Benson and Stabler are hauling Joe into the precinct. He's fully cuffed. Harry comes bouncing out of the squad room and is like, hey, detectives, because they have to cut him loose now. He really was like that. I mean, he was like, hi. (laughs) Yeah. I was so confused. I was like, did Harry frame him? Mm -hmm. I couldn't let the Harry shit go for a while. Harry wasn't going to just be some... Oh, this episode was just so interesting. It was so good. Now, because they have Joe, they can't hold Harry anymore. They can't just hold a pile of people for the same thing. Yeah, they have to cut him loose. Right. So Harry looks at Stabler and says, let's do this again real soon. And Stabler's like, count on it. It's a tough guy's stare down, whisper off. They were nose to nose. Yeah. Um, I fucking hope Maureen dates him. 
He seems like somebody that she'd like. So after this whole thing, I was wanting them to utilize Harry more and maybe point them in the right direction. You know, like whoever real life DiCaprio is from Catch Me If You Can. Oh, yeah. So he called the rock thing. This is and I know you may have been in a camp of like, what did Harry do? But I'm sitting here going, he called the rock thing on instinct. This kid is very bright. Mm -hmm. I feel like they could use him. Right. Anyway, that's not what they did. Cut to the interrogation room with Benson, Stabler and Joe. Joe insists that right after work, he went to Atlantic City, and he said he did not call Pam that night from the kennels, and a lot of people have access to the phone, like Harry. (laughs) So they they asked Joe how he got down to Atlantic City, and he's like, oh, I took my van. And Benson's like, oh, he's got a van. Oh, they all do. (laughs) I I was like, oh, my God, the shade of it all. It was amazing. (laughs) Let me guess. You were about to get a detail. And he's like, well, it's funny you say that. I was, but then it was stolen. And Stabler's like, oh, we're going to find that van. Joe says that no one down at MFPCA knows about his past, which is crazy. Wouldn't that be an interview? Or wouldn't that be a... You know how you have to knock on Isn't there a box you have to check on a job application? At least tell the women. You know what I mean? Or people that... Like, when you're a sex offender, you have to go... Sometimes you have to go door to door. Like, I get it. Like, people who went to prison and stuff, like, yes, they have to be able to... You can't discriminate. Like, they have to be able to work. Right. like, protect your employees, too. This is a seven-time rapist. So, yeah, Joe says no one down from MFPCA knows about his past. And he says it, quote, never came up. Benson and Stabler are going through his rap sheet, and he keeps saying he doesn't have those feelings anymore he's like i got help i never missed a session since you know i've been out for the last three years i was sick back then but have you know how many of those people did i kill they tell him you you didn't want to go back to prison so you killed pam and edward and the pressure was building all those years seeing pam every day made him crazy because his feelings were coming back and i'm still just like i don't think this guy did it he sucks but i think harry's setting up setting him up and then joe screams no i've been rehabilitated I'm Joe. <laughs> what? In the squad room, Munch and Toots come in and drop a chest down. They tell Benson and Stabler that they tore up Joe's apartment and could only find this. And it's full of porn mags and all kinds of shit, but nothing pointing to murder. They don't want to arrest him on just a parole violation. And Cabot doesn't think that this can even be brought to a hearing because it's too gray. So they're digging through this trunk and Toots finds 20 short stories Joe wrote all about rape and torture. Stories that he photocopied and sent to old jail buddies. And these guys were super into them or whatever. That's not okay. Right. That's a parole violation. Mm -hmm. Cabot and Joe's lawyer are going at it back and forth in the chambers of Judge... I was going to say Judge Judy Petrovsky. Kind of. (laughs) Judge Petrovsky. She's the dark brown, curly hair, pursed lips... We like her. No nonsense. Yeah, we like her. Joe's lawyer is saying that having obscene material doesn't make someone guilty of anything, but Cabot argues that sending that stuff to other sex offenders is criminal. Mm-hmm. Joe's lawyer comes back and is like, uh, can't you see what they're doing? They can't get Joe on murder, so they're just coming at him for anything just to see what sticks. This is nuts. First Amendment, blah, blah, blah. The judge thinks Cabot is overreaching, but she's like, I'm going to let the jury decide. <laughs> Cabot. All right, so the trial is over already, and the jury is reading their verdict. They find Joe guilty of obscenity in the third degree. Joe's lawyer is like, can we? Maybe not. And the judge is like, no, we're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Benson and Stabler say that the obscenity three is a misdemeanor, and Joe will get out in like a year max. And then Cabot's like, yeah, but there's no statute of limitations on murder. I just bought you a fucking year to find Pam's head. 
and figure this shit out. And I was like, ooh, she's so shifty. She's amazing. Yeah. It's only going to get like a year. Cool. Take that year and fucking do something with it. You're welcome. You yeah. little fucks. Cabot is like, was barely in this episode, but did everything. Yeah. <laughs> So Stabler turns around and sees Harry fucking sitting there, which how did you not see him? Whatever. If that dude walked in, I'd be like, oh my God, it's that kid. Stabes is like, what the fuck are you doing here? And he says, homework. Stabler grabs him by the collar and he's like, come here, you sick little freak. And shoves him up against the wall, almost knocking over this like courthouse light prop sconce thing. Did you see that? Yeah. It like wiggled. And I was like, that's supposed to be like marble or something. Because... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Harry's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, first rule of crime is not having witnesses around. Stabler says, you think you're real cute, don't you? And then Harry says, 23 cheerleaders can't be wrong. Ugh, gross. And then Stabler shoots back, I know where you live, I know where you learn, and I know where you bury your kill. You get used to my face because you're going to be seeing it every time you turn around. And then this little fucker says, don't lose your head, detective. You're having enough trouble finding one. Oh. <gasps> This episode's so good. Stabler and Harry's faces are practically touching noses. They're hot breathing into each other's mouths. Yeah, they're going to get CO2 poisoning because the only air they're getting is the other person exhaling. (laughs) Phil runs out of the bathroom and he's like... (laughs) (laughs) From their mouth. I don't know what huffing is. I don't know either. And Stabler Stabler then says, That's God. We found your whole stash and then walks away. And Harry's like, you think so? There's never just one stash. And Stabler's like, what? And then I'm I'm still like, Harry did it. So I'm like, Harry is just trying to get caught. I swear. I am so into Harry right now. Not sexually. He's a little fuck, but he's so elusive. And he might be almost with certainty. I say this, my favorite possible bad guy to date on SVU. Yeah. Outside of the courthouse, Stabler's telling Benson's that they gave up too easily on Joe's house and they didn't find the real stash. Benson's on the phone telling them to get back to Joe's house and look through everything again. Dig up the backyard if they have to. Stabler's like, I want every fucking key matched to a lock. We're doing this. So the whole gang's breaking through a locked garage. Inside is Joe's stolen van. Quote, end quote, stolen van. There's porn everywhere and Munch calls it his private yank shack. Oh my God, they find bloodstains in the front seat of the van. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we're with Boston Rob looking at the blood in the lab. He goes, yep, that's blood, all right. Stabler (laughs) tells him to match it to Pam. Boston Rob says, that's problematic because of the cell surface antigens. They're just staring at him in layman's people face. And Boston Rob goes on, it's canine blood. I immediately was like, please don't be irritating, Boston Ramon. We like you. Just say that from the jump. Like, you don't need to surface antigen It's dog blood. Just say it's dog blood. It's from work. Benson and Stabler sound defeated, but Boston Rob says, have a little faith. I got his travel itinerary off his tires. South Jersey above bedrock is unconsolidated marine sand. He's got some of the best facial expressions. I took like nine more photos of this scene. (laughs) Stabes has his arms crossed and says, yeah, Atlantic City. He told us that. Boston Rob says, he mentioned anything about a skid mark along the way or a shop Yui? (laughs) 
That always triggers me to ask this of people. Let us know this if you guys have a different version of it. Here we call that whipping a shitty. Mm-hmm. And taking a, someone, like taking a hard U-turn. Yeah, any kind of U-turn, whipping a shitty. You yeah. know, like, oh, I missed my turn. Whip a shitty up here and go back around. Yeah. I told somebody that once years ago, and they said that they don't say that everywhere. So I was like, is that regional? Huh. I've never heard anybody say it anywhere else. But I also have never heard like, oh, here's a Midwest thing. Yeah. So let me know. What do you call it? Anyway, Benson's like, how do you know that? And Boston Rob is so excited to tell her. I found microscopic fragments of glass beads and a yellow and white reflective paint. Glass beads could be any stretch of road, but the paint? Stabler, big helper Stabler, finishes the thought, yellow and white together could be a hill or sharp curve. Smarty Pants Ramon loves it. The out of dispositional strata of dirt says he then pulled off on a paved road. We got a heavy buildup of soil inside a wheel well and inside the bumper. Now Benny's following too. He spun his tires in the mud. She's literally translating what Boston Rob could have said to fucking begin with. Yeah. But that degree isn't framed on the wall for him to say spun tires in the mud. Okay. <laughs> Boston Rob has shoe prints inside the van, the same consistency. Benson and Stabler think that he must have stopped to toss the head. That's what pulling off the road and all that shit was. Right. Boston Rob said that it probably was extremely close to a chemical plant because of the super high concentration of the chemicals he found. A high concentration of soil contamination. What kind? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Chemical byproducts, x-ray fluorescent spectrometer will give us the exact composition intense forensic work happening here very all right we're done with him oh okay cut to the squad room (laughs) there's a map with a ton of red dots all over it new jersey has a ton of chemical plants new jersey is a chemical plant (laughs) new jersey is an entire chemical plant Craigan tells the gang to narrow it down to the plants along Joe's route from the crime scene to Atlantic City. Toot said it was confirmed Joe was actually in Atlantic City. He was seen gambling till like 5 a.m. So Craigan mm-hmm. is fucking using this like huge squeaky permanent marker to trace the roads that Joe maybe used. And I mm. fucking hate it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just like... Gabe, keep... Oh my God, okay. I had the same exact... I had the really? same exact thought while I was... At, yes, yes. Okay. Finish what you were going to so say. So this like marker is like the one that I remember like uh, teachers using. It, it, it stinks. It squeaks. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, why did they not laminate these maps so that they could dry erase and like then move stuff and like erase... You know what I mean? I had so much anxiety watching this and I'm so in love with you for noticing it as well. Um, So he's drawing all these lines quickly with so much confidence and my thought as i'm watching him do this i'm not listening to what he's saying i'm not like following along with the map talk i'm sitting there going get this shit laminated and use a dry erase marker you love a dry erase marker get your cat doodle fucking marker yeah yeah what if he goes the wrong way is he gonna do that thing where he draws a big squiggle over it or will he exit out or does he have white out like what's he gonna do you're wasting time or is he going to write like, a big no with an arrow pointed at it? Yeah. Or at least like use a different color, like a lighter colored marker for the first lines. It just, this didn't make any sense. No. Okay. I, and maybe it's just like makes me more mad because right before that we had a lab guy like literally doing the most intense forensic work with glass beads and yellow fucking, you know what I mean? And then you're just like, oh, here's a marker in a map. Like if you fuck it up, you have to take it down and put another one up. It doesn't, right. I didn't enjoy this. I didn't like it. 
I, I remembered the smell and it was like giving me a headache. And we've got the most intense forensics. And then Cragen is scribbling on the kids menu at a restaurant. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you guys have a gorgeous map of New York City that the taxpayers paid for that lights up from behind. And you're squeaking on paper with a marker. Yeah, it was. I hated it. <laughs> it was, it's like you, you just took me out. What are you going to do? Hole. You're going to tear it down when you're done and crumple it up and throw it away. So this is my f- favorite episode episode that i've seen so far and my least favorite because of that so that route has about eight chemical plants nearby and then fucking Mm -hmm. boston rob hops in and he's like you're looking for a plant that has a ton of mercury i don't know why he didn't say that before whatever so the soil was absurdly high in mercury so blah 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 plants use mercury to blah 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 salt brine blah 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 the only company that has that is idj anyways idj is right on the river to the river to the river now forensics are dredging that shit up not finding anything vincent and stabler are standing are super irritated because they're mad at everybody who tries their job and doesn't give them what they want yeah cabot's like like, yeah (laughs) the last diver pops up boop nothing thumbs down they know joe was here because they found his fucking tire tracks. So they're going to come back out tomorrow. Benson asks a forensics dude with a box if he found anything. Just some garbage, beer cans, a bra from like three years ago, and this earring. Benson's like, wait a minute. Let me see that. It's a little gold dog earring. Oh, my God. Thank God she asked this guy. <laughs> I would have thought nothing of it. Cut to Stabler at Joe's cell area in jail. There's like, I don't know what, there's a bunch of them. Joe comes out and he's like, what do you want? And Stabler has this huge smile on his face and says, nothing, I just came here to gloat. Joe's like, whatever, I can do a year standing on my head. So he shows Joe the earring. It's the same earring from Pam's headshot flag photo. Joe says, you can't prove that's Pam's. (laughs) Well, Stabler says... Those earrings. Those were, earrings. Let's say it together. Those, those earrings, earrings were made especially, made especially for her. her to commemorate five years on the force. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> so it's got her DNA on it and a three-point match to his thumbprint. And he's like, <gasps> but uh, here's the thing. Okay. I don't. I feel like that they work together. I don't feel like mm. having like a fingerprint on a earring is really, like, solid enough evidence for a murder. You know what I mean? Because mm. I feel like a lawyer can shoot holes in it, like, well, they work together, and maybe she had set him down sometime, and he gave him back to her. Maybe they were just there, and he touched them. I just don't, I mean, there's really no physical evidence that can't be, like, without a doubt, you know? Yeah, but he really got in his head with it. That's true. I hope there's more. This was so good. Oh, this episode was so good, and as soon as it was done... I was like, if we don't see Harry again, I'm going to be so upset. Yeah, I want him and to be I don't like, think we do. I don't think we do either, yeah. I wanted, I want. I was like, I hope that it, it, I just wanted it to be like an ongoing thing and then someday they catch him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. The episode was so good and so awful, but like awful because Harry was fully based on a young Ed Kemper. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Transition time. We're going to talk about Ed Kemper. Edmund Emil Kemper III was born December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California. He was the second of three middle child. By the time, I don't know why I said it like that. I'm the middle child. Me My eyebrows. By the time Ed was nine, his parents had divorced, resulting in he and his sisters moving to live with their mother in Montana. Ed's mom, by his own recollection, BT dubs, 
was a cruel alcoholic. He believes his mother actually hated him. He consistently recounts being berated by her growing up. By the time Ed was 10, his mother had moved him to the unfinished basement of their home. She was afraid that he was going to hurt his sisters. He wasn't allowed to have a nightlight. Just the furnace that he imagined were the fires of hell. Okay. It was just this tiny light in the basement that he would stare at. Ed remembers being surrounded by rats alone in this basement and scared while the rest of the family slept two floors above him. Mm -hmm. He would spend his adolescence down there fantasizing about killing his mother. He also did other weird shit. He would rope his sisters into playing games with him that he invented called gas chamber and electric chair where he would have them blindfold him and put him in a chair where he would convulse until he pretended to die. Mm -hmm. And he also began drum roll, torturing and killing family pets. I didn't even go into detail about it, but he buried one of their cats alive. Eventually, his mother sent him to live on his paternal grandparents' farm in North Fork, California. Kemper adored his grandfather, but felt that his grandma was much like his mother. That's a problem. Where was the dad? I guess I never thought of, wondered about that. Well, the dad left, it was said, because he was also being berated and abused by Ed's mom. Okay. It's weird you ask that because I don't remember anything about his dad beyond his dad leaving when he was nine. Yeah, I guess I don't think I've ever heard of anything much about the dad. Interesting. Well, one day when his grandpa was out, Kemper and his grandma got into an argument and the argument was about a gun that his grandpa had bought for him. Mm -hmm. But Kemper was like out shooting animals and his grandma took it. She's like, no, you're not going to shoot animals out here. She took the gun. They get in this big fight. Grandpa's gone. And Kemper walked into the kitchen after this fight where he shot and killed his grandmother with that very rifle. How old was he? 15. Okay. After he killed his grandma, he went outside to sit on the porch and wait for his grandfather to return. Kemper decided that he didn't want his grandpa to suffer by seeing his wife dead. So when he returned, Ed shot and killed him as well. Jesus. After he killed them, he called his mom to let her know what he had done. She hung up, called the police, and Ed sat there waiting to be picked up. When interviewed, he claimed he killed his grandma. I mean, outside of like the rage and whatever. One of the reasons was he wanted to see what it felt like. Mm -hmm. The California Youth Authority sent Ed to a Tuscadero State Hospital with a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia, even though he didn't fit the pathology for that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a pathology that fit his particular behaviors and motivations. But they're like, well, this is close-ish. Yeah. They didn't know what to do with him. So a Tuscadero was this max security facility for convicts with mental illness. Okay. P.S. At this time, Ed is still under 16, but stands six foot seven inches tall It was 173 pounds. He was a fucking beast as a child. Multiple tests show that Ed Kemper also had an IQ of 145. Okay. Real quick, the average IQ in the U.S. is reportedly 98, which is normal or average intelligence. Mm -hmm. Anything above 140 is considered near genius to genius level. Okay. Okay. Has that changed much at all over the years or has it just kind of been the same? What, the IQ standard? Mm -hmm. No, that's the standard. Okay. Kemper had an interesting stay at a Tuscadero. The intake psychiatrist felt that Ed was salvageable and that he should be treated and not punished. He was a model patient and impressed the staff with his intelligence. He received praise for how well he did in these psychological exams that they gave him, so much so that he was allowed to administer them to fellow inmates. They saw nothing wrong with him having intimate knowledge of what determines a patient's progress to sanity. Hmm. 
Armed with this knowledge, Kemper took his own final exam given by the hospital. As a result, having memorized this and the correct answers, he was declared sane. In 1969, Ed was released at 21 years old. He was strongly advised to not live with his mother because of their volatile relationship and how that had affected him. Mm -hmm. But he moved back in with her. By this point, she was living in Santa Cruz and working at UCSC, University of California, Santa Cruz. Yeah. Ed had always loved cops as well. Why are you so sweaty? I was watching cops. <laughs> he had always loved cops and he really wanted to become one, but very quickly found out that he exceeded the size requirements. By adulthood, Kemper was 6'9 and 300 pounds. Jesus Christ. So then I looked up celebrities that are 6'9, all basketball players Larry Bird, Blake Griffin, Tristan Thompson. Yeah. Did you know that RuPaul is 6'4? So is Jeff Goldblum. The, the Rock is 6'5. Holy shit. I got very distracted. Yeah, I, would <laughs> I looked too. at this shit for a hot minute. <laughs> I was like, ooh, Jeff Goldblum, you tall drink of water. <laughs> I didn't know The Rock was so tall. Anyway, although Kemper exceeded the size requirements, he was still a wannabe little bitch. He liked to hang out at this cop bar called the jury room with local law enforcement. And even though Kemper was freaking huge, he was disarming and on the surface, very charming. Yeah. The cops palled up with him right away. Meanwhile, Ed's begun picking up female hitchhikers. He later said it was to learn how to talk to people. He struggled mm -hmm. in communicating with women his age. Every single thing that he has an issue with, he blames his mom for. The way he talks about his mom in these interviews is just so full of... Visceral hate. <laughs> yeah. Visceral hate, but also this like confusing love. He was using these little hitchhike excursions to test himself to see if he could resist these urges that he was having. This was another one of his little experiments that he was doing with himself. Yeah. Cut to the spring of 1972. Marianne Pesci and Anita Lachesa, two Fresno State students, are looking to get a ride to Stanford. Hitchhike culture was huge. It's the early 70s. Right. Kemper picked him up and, sparing the details, brutally stabbed and murdered both of them. Oh. As he drove with them in the trunk, he was pulled over. He gets pulled over. He gets out of the car, which now would be like, uh-uh, no. This giant man gets out of this car. It's like, that's intimidating. Mm -hmm. But he gets out of the car and talks to the cop. And he's like, oh, hey, what's up, officer? What's going on? Oh, you've got a burnt out taillight or, you know, one of your taillights is out. He was so disarming that he kept his cool. He asked the officer if he wanted to pop the trunk to see if there was a fuse disconnected or something. He's like, oh, no, should we should we take a look? Maybe we could fix it right here. So disarming that he was like, no, go go ahead. Just make sure you go get it fixed. Be on your way. Thank you so much. Yeah. And that's fortunate for that cop because Ed was willing to kill him. Yeah. Whew. Over the next couple of days at his apartment where he took the bodies of Marianne and Anita, Ed decapitated them, removed their hands, and had sex with their heads and bodies before disposing of them in two separate locations. Damn. After this, Ed felt that he needed to change up his style since stabbing them was more difficult than he had anticipated. So he put together a kill kit, gun, knife, cuffs, but he goes on to use the gun more often. It was interesting to learn about because, you know, they talk about killers M.O.s and he did that. And he's like, wow, that was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I need to change this because I, I have to adjust. Yeah. How many killers actually have kills linked that aren't linked because they just changed their pattern. Right. You know, in developing it. It reminds me of the episode we just had recently where remember like there was like bites taken out and then then the guy would mm -hmm. like like and they, they mapped out cities by when things started to change his like mo yeah 
Yeah. On September 14th of 1972, 15-year-old Aiko Ko was running late to her dance class. So when Kemper pulled up and asked if she needed a ride, she opted to get in his car instead of waiting for the next bus. Mm. Shortly into the ride, Aiko realized he wasn't taking her to dance class. So at some point during this situation, after he had pulled the gun on her, she believed that she was going to be killed or hurt terribly in some way. Kemper has to pull over and get out for some reason. This fucking literal genius. This guy's a literal genius. Mm -hmm. He left the keys and the gun in the car with this girl. And you hear that and you go, she's going to fucking make it. He was such an incredible manipulator that he convinced her to unlock the door and let him back in. He strangled her and he decapitated her. The next day, Ed had an evaluation with psychiatrists from a Tuscadero to see where he was at and how he was doing after his release. He went to this appointment with Aiko's head in the trunk of his car. Oh my God. He had her head in the trunk of his car and was declared sane and rehabilitated by psychiatrists. That's so crazy. In January of 1973, Ed picked up Cindy Shawl, who was, like the others, hitchhiking. This time, he shot and killed her. He took her body to his mother's house where he dismembered her. He buried her head in the backyard and threw the rest of the dismembered body parts into the ocean. Soon after, on February 5th, 1973, Kemper picked up two students at the UCSC camp. At this point, there were warnings to young women to be cautious, don't hitchhike. Women were missing. Marianne Pesci's head had been found. Parts of Cindy Shaw's body had washed up. Shit was going nuts at the time. Not only that, but John Lindley Frazier and Herbert Mullins, two other serial killers, were active in that area at the same time. So people started calling Santa Cruz Murder City. I forgot like that the 60s, 70s, and 80s were like California Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. like, serial killer playground. Yeah, between Frazier and Mullins, just the two of them had killed 18 people. Jesus fucking Christ. And then on top of it, Ed's victims as well. Anyway, Kemper had figured out a way around the precautions that women were taking now. He put a UCSC student parking sticker on his car that his mother had given him as an employee there, which meant that when he pulled up to Rosalind Thorpe and Alice Liu, they were immediately comforted by this fellow student. They too, after getting in his car, accepting a ride, being disarmed. Why would a fellow student, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right? They too were shot, decapitated, dismembered, and disposed of in multiple locations. This whole time, Kemper's hanging hanging out at the jury room with all the cops. So they would talk about this co-ed killer. That was the name that was given to Ed in the press, which I hate the term co-ed. It's just, it's dated. He was killing women, but they were talking about it with Big Ed. Yeah. That's what they called him. Later in an interview, when asked whether the cops that hung out at the jury room liked him, he said, quote, I would say I was a friendly nuisance. I got in the way and it was deliberate. Friendly nuisances are dismissed. Mm -hmm. You know, he wouldn't initiate conversation about it. He knew how to play it just enough that it took him off their radar completely. Mm -hmm. Kemper later told special agents that nearly every time he committed a brutal murder, it was following a fight with his mother. He was taking out his rage toward his mother on other women and girls. Well, in April of 1973, Ed decided that if he didn't kill his mother, he'd continue to kill young hitchhikers. One night, he's at his mom's. He said goodnight to his mother, and then hours later in her sleep, beat her in the head with a hammer and cut her throat. He decapitated her, cut off her hands. He propped her up and threw darts at her. He had an hour-long one-sided argument with her. He also drug her into the kitchen and cut out her larynx and put it down the garbage disposal and had sex with her head. 
to avoid questions arising of where his mother had disappeared to, he decided the story would be that she took off with her BFF, so he had to kill her friend too. He calls his mom's friend, Sally Hallett, telling her he wanted to take the women out for dinner. When she arrived at the house just before 8 p.m., she came inside, Ed strangled her, spent the night in bed with Sally's body, with his mom not far away, and then before he left the next day, put her body in a closet. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, about his mom's friend? Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay, so I'll get into this later because... I, I, I go on to talk more about the investigators and, and how interviewing Kemper opened up a lot of understanding about the mind of a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But his story, it's I think he's full of shit half the time. Yeah. I mean, all of this information that we get is his photographic memory accounts. Mm-hmm. So Ed takes off three days. He's just fucking driving, popping nodos, driving. After a few days, he's thinking that there's going to be this nationwide manhunt. Everybody's going to be after him. He heard nothing. Mm-hmm. So after three days, he decided that it was over. He called Santa Cruz Police Department on April 24th. It was like five o'clock in the morning. And he just confessed. He He's like, uh, I killed my mom and her friend, and I'm the co-ed killer that you guys are looking for. They didn't believe him, and they hung up. Mm-hmm. So he had to call back. He had to give them solid information that led them to find his mother and Sally in his mom's house. And then also to convince them that he was the co-ed killer, he had to give them information that only the killer would know, which he obviously did. Mm-hmm. And he asked to talk to the head detective on the case. He's like, can you just put me through to this guy? Right. All of his cop buddies were blown away that Big Ed was this absolute monster sicko. Yeah. Like nobody was onto him. Ed thought that things were starting to close in. Nobody had any idea. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder and given eight concurrent life sentences. Now, this is where it gets interesting. He was put to use here. FBI special agents John Douglas and Robert Ressler wanted to include Kemper in a study they were doing in the hopes of getting some insight into the mind of a monster. Most of the rest of this information that I got is from the documentary Kemper on Kemper. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. It has like all of his interview stuff and everything. And it goes on to talk about like what interviewing him actually really contributed to in the world of serial killers and psychology. And up to this point, studies and focus had been on rehabilitation, but they thought with some more direct information, they could be more proactive. So Kemper freely gave them the who, what, when, where, whys of his motivation and crimes. The fact that he was wildly intelligent played in the interviewer's favor because he could articulate and recount his crimes in a way that would help revolutionize criminal psychology. Yeah. Through picking his brain, these guys learned how to better classify different crimes, how to link cases together, and how to profile serial killers. So these interviews became the structural element of the new behavioral science unit of the FBI. Yeah. From this study, experts developed a 57-page color-coded survey to use for every serial killer they would question. And from this came the homicidal triangle, the triad of sociopathy. Mm -hmm bedwetting into their teens, fire setting, and animal cruelty. So a big part, a big, huge get from this, before they made this connection, animal cruelty was not on the radar. Since this, it's tracked when it comes up in someone's behaviors in their criminal history or whatever, Mm -hmm. because it's such a strong indicator of homicidal violence. Right. Okay, I didn't know this came from these interviews, but John Douglas and Robert Ressler came up with these terms and popularized them. Serial murderer slash serial killer, Mm -hmm. which the definition there is kills three or more people with a cooling off period between each killing. Mm -hmm. 
mass murderer, someone who kills four or more people in one event, and spree murderer, which is a form of serial killer, but there's no cooling off period. They kill two or more victims over a short time in multiple locations. Yeah, because I think before that, serial killers, they were called sequence murderers or something. Yeah, that's, I mean, you can't find anybody who doesn't know what a serial killer is. Right. In watching the Kemper on Kemper documentary, by the end of it, it felt like these guys just strictly took him for his word. Yeah. Even though more John John Douglas seemed to take him for his word because it's like, his mom was awful. His mom mom if it wasn't for her he probably wouldn't even be a serial killer Mm -hmm. and then the other detectives like you know what a lot of people have shitty moms a lot of people have like tough childhoods there's something that happens that creates this or is there like nature nurture da 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 the way they interviewed him was playing to his ego oh please teach us you're so smart yeah. So he's going to, he can paint it whatever way best favors him. Right. That the thing that makes him charming, he did speak very like, you almost feel sorry for him in listening to interviews with him. Yeah. Where it's like, well, you had it really tough. Oh, wait, you brutally murdered five young women, one little girl, your mom, your mom's friend, your grandparents. Yeah. You are responsible and you want to blame it all on your mom. He blames his mom. Douglas blames his mom. Right. Anyway, I'm just, how much can we really say that this is absolute from someone like Kemper? You know, he hated strong matriarchal women like his mom and his grandma. He wanted to be tough lad cop club to think he was a good boy. Yeah. You know, fuck you. He's a fucking um, incel. He is. He was mad that he couldn't get a date. Yeah. He he was just like an incel that fucking murdered people about it. Mm -hmm. So he's currently 63. He's still alive? Yeah! I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's currently 63 years old, and he's doing his time at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. No idea. Whoa. He sure is. I wonder how tall he is now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hated that I laughed so hard at that. All right, so it's December 7th. Next week, well, but if you're in Australia, it's December 8th. Because you're in the future. We are going to pump the brakes for a second. It's the holiday season. Holiday season. (laughs) And we're taking off the next few weeks. We're done for 2021. We're not going to leave you hanging. We are going to put out some... Garbage cookies and friendship. We're going to give you a little taste of the Patreon. Yeah. Okay, so we got some, some Patreon stuff that we want you to hear. And then on January 4th, We'll be back with season three, episode 14. Okay, tell me what it is. Counterfeit. A series of sex crimes lead the police to look at one of their own until they realize the suspect is not who they think he is. (gasps) Mysterious. (laughs) Okay, so this is coming out on the 7th, Thursday the 9th. Is our elite squad? I kept, I kept calling it a Christmas party. Fuck Christmas, a holiday party. I celebrate Christmas because that's what I grew up with and whatever. But all holidays, this is a SVU Podsmas virtual party that we're having. It's going to be fun. There's going to be games and prizes and us and laughing. It's going to be a good time. Abby's putting together stuff to make it fun. Yeah. Follow us on all social media at SVU pod. Email us at SVUpod at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.svupod.com and check out our Patreon. I feel like we do a lot of stuff and I like that. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, they get a lot. I want to do more. I want to do more. T- I'm saying I want to be like here. Have here, go through my stuff, you guys, and take anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I just like you guys, but like, yeah, I feel like for podcast stuff, like they they get a decent amount. And they will be getting more, I'm sure. But like the more time that we're able to dedicate to it, the more like mm-hmm. other stuff I want to do. Yeah. For the Patreon as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I meant, I meant, oh yeah, by the way. By the frickin' way. By the frogin' way. Happy birthday, Abby. Happy birthday, Abby. We appreciate everything you fucking do. You're amazing. We, we love you. Love you. Yeah, I think that's it. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. I'm excited to take a break. Me too. Happy holidays to you. Thanks for a great 2021, you guys. Yeah. For as good as 2021 could be, I had a good time with you. Okay, enough. No. (laughs) Love Love you. back. (laughs) Love you. Love you. Bye. Thank you to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elkie H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Eliza W, Benita R, Marin. Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, and Summer M. We love you. Appreciate you. Thank you.